Hi, I'm Callie. And I'm Rachel. And we are Pelvic Service Announcement. Okay, back for a fun one this week. We always say that, but they're all fun. But they're also (laughs) fun. We have so much fun. I think you guys are going to like this one, though. I think it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, this is going to kind of piggyback a little bit on our pain science uh, episode that we did a couple weeks ago. So if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to it just to kind of get your feet wet into what pain is and how it really works and how our bodies process it because we're going to kind of piggyback a lot on that for this episode. Yes, absolutely. So without any further ado, we're going to talk about dry needling this episode. If you've never heard of dry needling, the way I always explain it to patients is it's like acupuncture, but not. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Like same needles, it's just different. And I found a really good kind of definition for what acupuncture was. And basically acupuncture is this thought that it's called Chinese traditional acupuncture. And it's this thought that the human body is composed of sophisticated interconnected inner systems which there is an inner energy or chi that flows through meridians or channels and then like if the chi gets blocked that's when we get pain and disease and things like that so that's acupuncture dry needling uses the same needles but it's a completely different theory it's working off a different model and so where the best way I can describe it is if you come in for a headache in acupuncture they would find like where your chi is blocked so it could be they're sticking a needle in your thumb or somewhere nowhere near your head whereas if you come in for dry needling we're looking more for what's called myofascial trigger points or painful points in muscles in the neck head area that would be causing that so when we're dry needle when we're dry needling it's going to be in the location of your pain. It sounds really sadistic, but I, we tell people, "Okay, we're going to find where it hurts and then stick a needle in it." And and that's really only part of it. That's just there are so many uses for dry needling and it is such a really cool tool and technique that I'm so grateful that we have as physical therapists because I use it all the time and it is just it really really is fantastic Um, I tell my patients I'm like I'm really not concerned about aligning your cheese or chakras or helping you kick a smoking habit I really what I'm after is the pain relief the pain response, what's going on down in that actual muscle belly um, or the ligament or the perineural structures. That's what I'm after. And they kind of, you know, laugh. I'm like, listen, it is really similar to acupuncture. It's just the main difference. It's kind of what we're after in the end, in the end run, end goal, long run. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So kind of the, the working definition or treatment for the trigger point dry needling is just um using a needle into a a taut band or unhealthy tissue through a several different proposed mechanisms to get a reduction in pain so we're we're not like she said not after the chi or chakra or whatever we are trying to get that pain under control with the needling and there's a lot of very very dense mechanisms or theories behind why this works and there's it's in all reality it's probably a combination of things so we're not gonna get super super deep into that but there's a couple 
just a couple of ways. Um, one of the ways they think it works is is by a twitch response or when you stick that needle in the muscle, that muscle you'll see a jump or a contraction. And basically when muscles become tight, when they become painful and in a state of spasm, the thought is that twitch response elicited by the needle will overwhelm the original spasm that was there and cause relaxation. The other way or another pathway that dry needling can really help with pain is our body like naturally we make our own painkillers we make our own natural opioids and so by reproducing some pain or eliciting some pain with that needle insertion it feels like a pinprick going in you know it it doesn't necessarily feel like you're getting a shot or anything like that but it definitely you definitely feel that pinprick going in um sometimes that pinprick is just enough pain Pain just enough to elicit that response from the brain and you know signal it hey we need we're in pain there is pain that has been you know picked up by our, our nervous system we're registering that pain we need some painkillers and we need them over here and so that endogenous opioid release or the release of those natural painkillers go to that area and that's what gives us a lot of that pain relief that lasts long um, for a long period of time and that is kind of really I think kind of the, I think the coolest mechanism is, and again, it is a very, very complicated chemical process and well beyond the scope of our podcast, but it is, that's kind of the gist of kind of that opioid induced response. That's what gives us that, that natural pain relief that lasts for hours and hours, even a couple days after, after that dry needling session. And just kind of all of those, all of the, basically kind of the umbrella idea for the mechanism of dry needling or why it works is just that through some of the mechanisms we've talked about, we somehow are able to get some pain inhibition, basically through some descending pathways, some neuromodulation. It just, it calms down that symptom. Last week when we talked about chronic pain, we talked about how these pa- these places can become hypersensitive. So we talked about how the pain doesn't necessarily match the level of tissue damage. And basically with dry needling, you just go in and disrupt whatever's going on. You bring the body's attention to it and it, through all these things we've talked about, calms things down. With that being said, this is not a cure. No. This is not a, oh, my hip hurts. Can you stick some needles in me? And then can I go on about my life as though nothing ever happened? No, the answer to that question is no. This is a modality. And just like, oh, go throw some ice on it, go throw some heat on it, whatever. This is a modality. It's a really, really good modality. Like there's really good research behind it. I would argue it's a more effective modality than some of those other modalities. However, this is not a standalone treatment. No, this is a tool that we have in our tool belt. This is absolutely to be used in conjunction with all of the other bag of tricks that we have as physical therapists. Oh, well. From the Journal of Pain Research, this is their um, stance on dry needling. It says, 
Trigger point dry needling can be part of, but should never be the only treatment plan for individuals with chronic pain. And chronic pain is just anything more than a couple months, like a month or two. Per evidence-based recommendations, a comprehensive management program for chronic pain patients should include neuroscience pain education, which we talked about last week, exercise programs, self-management, including graded activity, stress management, sleep management, and other individually tailored aspects of self-management, which means it's you got to use it all. And we've talked about that time and time again. There's, there's as much, as awesome as it would be, there's no just like one cure-all thing mm-hmm. for most of this, especially when it comes to chronic pain and all the complicated mechanisms that we've talked about in that. This has got to be used in conjunction with other things, which means if you're a patient, you can't just come for needling and not do your home exercises. Yeah. If you, yeah, if you come in and you're like, oh, I just want needles, I'm going to be like, okay, great. We can do that. But I'm also going to give you a whole bunch of other things that you need to be doing as well um, and addressing all the things, not just sticking needles in you and calling it good. If I stick needles in you and you tell me you feel better, that just means you feel better enough to do more exercises. Exactly. So... It's, it's got to all be used together. But with that being said, there's a lot of things we use needling in here for that it can be super, super beneficial with. And it's I love it because it's one of the only quote-unquote quick fixes. It's not a quick fix, but it's a quick pain relief mm-hmm. in therapy. And it's so awesome, especially for these people who have been in pain for years and been dealing with things for years, just to get them that pain relief. Yeah. And then get them moving after in a pain-free way. It's just pretty awesome. So... I think everybody's probably wondering right now, like, do they stick needles in the pelvic floor? You can. You can. We don't yet. We're working on it. We're working on it. <laughs> One day we plan on being able to, but right now we don't. Yeah. And just to give you guys a little bit better of a mental picture, these needles are tiny. They are very, very thin, like made a little bit thicker than a strand of hair. Like these are not piercing needles. These are not needles, um, that deliver an injection. It's called dry needling because there's, it's dry there. We're not injecting anything. It's literally just a needle. Um, sometimes we do one needle and that's it. Especially if it's your first time with needles, I usually kind of keep it pretty light that first session just to see how you tolerate it. But you know, we might do up to four, we might do up to, I think I've done like 10 to 15 before at some point, just kind of depending on, again, it depends person to person, but, um, we can put these needles in muscle. We can put these needles in ligaments. We can put these needles around, uh, nerves even just kind of some, it's called perineural dry needling and getting some stimulation along that nerve fiber can really help to modulate some of those, um, some of those symptoms, especially with, especially with sciatica. I've, I've needled literally a person's entire leg, um, butt cheek to heel of the foot for sciatic pain, just to kind of get some of the, the tension around that nerve to calm down again, bring that blood flow, kind of trigger that cascade of chemical responses that we need for pain relief. And it helps so much. We can use this for scar tissue which is another big one that we use it for. Um, I've definitely used it for, um, I had a patient that had a, 
I think she had like three hip replacements and that scar tissue was so adhered and she was having a lot of pain and restriction through that hip just because they had to keep going back in. I think she had had like a couple infections or something, but they had to keep going back in through that same incision over and over and over again, creating that scar tissue. And so we can use those needles to really get deep under the skin. I can only do so much with my elbow. There's only so much I can do. Um, but these needles help us to get a little bit deeper and a little bit more targeted in the area that we're after. I've never done it on a C-section scar, but I've heard that can be beneficial. Absolutely. I, like I said, I've never done it just because when it comes to s- needling scars can be a little more intense. So I like to try everything else mm-hmm. first, but someone with a really intense c-section scar i have a couple patients in mind if i could talk them into it i think would be really good candidates for it but there's a lot of like she said there's so many benefits to it in terms of just all all those effects that we've talked about i know especially with the pelvic floor we've talked a lot about overactivities. very rarely is it just someone's pelvic floor gets tight and that's it and it happens in this little bubble and it doesn't affect any of the surrounding tissues that's not how our bodies work we've talked time and time again about how that can affect so many other things and so sometimes while you're working on the pelvic floor it's beneficial to go in and maybe work on the hips or the back or whatever some of those surrounding tissues with the needles and you just see progress quicker a lot of these muscles that and like we talked about i mean even all the way back in our anatomy episode a lot of the hip musculature can be palpated internally as well as externally and so if we can hit them with some needles externally, then that can really, really get that carryover into the pelvic floor. If we can kind of, you know, like we talked about, if, you know, we get tight muscles somewhere, a lot of times we get kind of bleed over into some other surrounding musculature. Now we got tight, you know, we got tight back muscles. We got tight hip flexors. If we can kind of get some of that to calm down, then it kind of takes some of that pressure off the pelvic floor muscles too. So we can reach a lot of the pelvic floor muscles through external dry needling, just kind of through the booty cheeks and just kind of around in there. Um, another fantastic, um, option for dry needling when it comes to pelvic floor dysfunction is perineural dry needling around the sacral nerve roots and that pudendal nerve. Um, there are a lot of acupuncture points that we use as physical therapists with dry needling. We use a lot of the same points that an acupuncturist would. Um, and so we get some of the stimulation to that sacral, those sacral nerve roots as they exit out of the sacrum. And those nerves directly feed into the pudendal nerve. And so given that the bladder is parasympathetically, which is it's innervated by some of those sacral nerve roots, um, doing some dry needling and even hooking those needles up to some e-stem that's called electroacupuncture. And that is also super fun to do, but getting some of that deep stimulation, it's like a TENS unit only now, instead of just the surface electrode, now we've gone in deep into that muscle tissue. Um, you know, we're right next to that nerve. We're right next to, um, where we need some stimulation or some modulation 
And now all of a sudden we have some significant improvements in even bladder control. So if we can kind of stimulate that nerve and modulate what those sacral nerves are doing in that pudendal nerve as it goes and innervates the bladder and tells it what to do, if it's overactive or if it is in a dysfunctional state, getting some modulation and just kind of stimulating that nerve in that specific way can really, really help to either calm it down or provide a lot of control. And again, that is a whole complicated reflex and complicated pathway. But if you want to learn more about that, you can actually go to uh, spinalmanipulation.org. That is the organization through which I learned dry needling and was taught there. They have a blog and they have amazing, amazing information just on utilization of dry needling and spinal manipulation. Um, This blog is called The Management of pelvic floor dysfunction, dry needling, exercise, and electroacupuncture. Again, it is a blog post, so it's not a research article, but if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, you can get the 50 plus articles that this person used to write this blog. And believe me, there's, I'm not kidding, there's over 50 articles that they cited in this. Okay, so we're going to move into the realm of theory for a second because I've never actually tried it, but we tell people to do calf raises to stimulate the tibial nerve for urge suppression and things like that, and we don't even have an electro stimulator here to do it for the dry needling, but can you stimulate the tibial nerve for urge suppression or to work on urgency? Oh, she just did a hair flip. She knows the answer to this question. The posterior tibial nerve is a mixed nerve with sensory and motor components with fibers that pass through the L4 through S3 spinal roots, the lumbar and sacral spine, the same spinal segments that innervate the bladder and pelvic floor, which may facilitate better somatic control of the pelvic floor muscles, which include the striated urethral sphincter. Hmm. our beautiful little shutoff valve electrical stimulation of the posterior tibial nerve may inhibit bladder activity by modulating the pontine micturition center which is all the way up in the brain and so as the bladder fills that information is being sent to that micturition center by a specific tract Um, that center in the brain then sends signals back down through the lumbar spine through the thoracic spine um resulting in relaxation of the bladder, neck, and external sphincter, which leads to micturition. Now, normally this center is inhibited by um, certain chemicals and drugs that are not worth getting into, Um, but... Given that acupuncture and dry needling has been shown to increase opioids, right? Those natural painkillers within the central nervous system, it is hypothesized that acupuncture may actually strengthen the inhibition of that micturition center, calming things down, improving sensations of urgency and reducing frequency and just overall bladder control. Isn't that wild? That's crazy. I wondered, and I've I've thought about trying it, just needling Mm -hmm. without the electricity. I just feel like that's kind of a hard sell because calf raises are already a hard sell to people when I'm like, no, do calf raises and it'll help. I tell them, I'm like, listen, I know this sounds like voodoo, but trust me. It'll work. I'm like, when you have to pee, stand on your tippy toes. And they're like, excuse me? I'm sorry, do what? So I've I've wondered, but it's like, it's kind of hard to convince people. Let me stick needles in your leg to help you not feel like you have to pee. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, 
it's a complicated pathway. It really is. And again, I could go much further into, you know, the specific, the specific receptors and, um, drugs and endorphins and literally all the things, but it's just, it's way, way too far beyond the scope. Um, I even had a hard time kind of getting through it, reading some of these words and, and kind of remembering, okay, this is this, this is in this part of the brain. This is in this part of the brain. Basically, again, it's the posterior tibial nerve. It feeds into, or I should say the nerve fibers that innervate the bladder also innervate the calf muscle. And so that's why doing calf raises helps with herbs, urge suppression. That's why perineural perineural dry needling along that posterior tibial nerve can also aid in urinary continence. Um, just again, activating some of those nerve fibers, um, inhibiting that micturition center, all the things they just kind of come together. And if you're having a hard time picturing, how does a nerve from the calf also innervate the bladder? Just a really brief anatomy lesson. I'm going to dumb this down to like a third grade level. All of our nerves start as our spinal cord. So it's really just kind of one nerve. And then we get branches off that nerve and branches. It's like a, a like tree. A tree. Yeah. Yeah. And it all it's all coming from the same. It's not like we have nerves that are just off by themselves. Everything connects to something. Even your tiniest, tiniest sensory fibers go up and connect to something. Nothing's just free floating per se. And these nerves are receiving signal as well as sending signal back and forth and that is why a nerve all the way down in your leg can affect the bladder because Mm -hmm. it's all just one long branching chain yeah so pretty much pretty much it's good stuff good stuff Mm -hmm. so um and this this blog post it really does go on even further into you know dry needling for pelvic pain um and it's really cool. And I'll just kind of read this here. Um, in addition, dry needling for abdominal hip and pelvic floor muscles with trigger points may be useful in patients with pelvic floor dysfunction. In theory, needling these myofascial trigger points helps clear the excessive acetylcholine from the neuromuscular junction that is thought to perpetuate this cycle of hypertonicity associated with trigger point pain, thereby resolving the issue. So I'm going to kind of dive into that a little bit more. Myofascial trigger points are basically just those taut bands, those knots that we feel, right? Like we've all had knots up in our shoulder and like in our traps before. That's basically what it is. You can get those in your pelvic floor. When that happens, we have this um, this neurotransmitter, acetylcholine, that is released from the nerve that tells the muscle to contract. And when we get that sustained contraction, that acetylcholine does not get flushed out. And so it is continually in that neuromuscular junction or the space between the nerve and the muscle, kind of that, um, you can kind of think of the neuromuscular junction as, um, uh, like a switchboard operator. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like a call, a call comes in and they connect to the appropriate line and that's kind of what they do. And so if that's there and they're constantly sending that signal and putting that line through and putting that line through that muscle is going to continue to contract and continue to contract and continue to contract. And then we get that hypertonicity. And so inserting that needle can, um, actually clear a lot of that acetylcholine out can basically hang up the phone almost on (laughs) contracting that poor muscle. Um, and 
kind of, again, thereby resolving the issue. If you don't have that signal coming through, the phone's not ringing, you're not continuing to contract and contract and contract. And that muscle is finally able to relax a little bit. And of course that feels better. And we get that blood flow coming back. We get a lot of nutrients and oxygen kind of coming in just to achieve and restore health and proper function of that muscle tissue. With all that being said, most of the time you get immediate relief, immediate pain relief. However, whatever caused that muscle to contract like that in the first place, whatever is aggravating that, whether it's a weakness in another area and it's overcompensating or bad habits, whatever it is, if you do not address that, you just chase your tail mm-hmm. and it goes away. They feel great for a couple of weeks. Oh, come back in. Oh, I'm sore again. Can you stick some needle? And if you don't educate properly, you can kind of create like these little needle junkies. Yes. You just want to come in every two weeks. Oh, I felt, can you needle me? Oh, can, can you, you just needle do needles? Can, can we just do, do needles? needles? And it's like, oh, it's like, you don't want to have to do this for the rest of your life. Right. Like, we got to fix the problem. And it is such a great tool to give people the pain relief to start fixing the problem. But it, it, it itself is not the fix yeah again it's it's a a tool in our tool shed Mm -hmm. as physical therapists the same way that we use dry needling for muscle tension we also use stretching and mobility for muscle tension now granted a needle is a lot more specific and it's going to get down to the you know right down to the spot but at the same time you can't walk around with needles in your body all day long, right? You, you've got to get up and move. You've got to go about your day-to-day life. And if we don't give you the tools and the exercises and the knowledge and the education to control and monitor your own symptoms, we're not doing you any good. I tell my patients, I'm like, I love seeing you. I love treating you. I love hanging out with you. I don't want you to come in here forever though. No. Like, and you, and you shouldn't have to like, I want to give you the tools to understand your own symptoms, to manage your own symptoms as you need to, and be independent with you and your body, knowing what's going on, knowing that, okay, you know, we fixed X, Y, and Z. We fixed, you know, we've got down to the root cause of those issues. Well, okay, now we're discharged from therapy. Well, okay, well, what happens if those come back? Do you need to come back to therapy? Do you need to come back to see me? Or are you prepared to you know, handle that on, on your own. Again, that's where, you know, our, a big part of our patient education comes in. What's super interesting is just some of the placebo effects of things. Um, I had a patient who was getting injections. I think it was like, it was, it wasn't a steroid, but it it was like, I think some form of glucose injections with the idea being Mm -hmm. it would help those tense muscles. And she would have relief for a little bit and she was having to go back for injections every couple of weeks. And we did dry needling and she had the exact same like pain relief. It even, I think, lasted a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. And so what she had figured out was it wasn't the actual injection she thought was helping her. It was the needle. It was the needle stick. Yeah, it was the needle stick that was helping her. That's funny. So we ended up just doing some dry needling and some exercise to correct things. And it actually, like, she'd been getting these injections for years. And then we did that. And, again, in conjunction with strengthening, stretching, mobility, all these other things. And she actually got better in a matter of a couple months. That's fantastic. But it was basically that would have been, that's the same idea as if you just use needling alone. Someone would have to just keep coming back, coming Mm -hmm. back, coming back, because you're not fixing anything. You're band-aiding it. So, but 
with that being said, it's a really, really cool tool. Some contraindications, though. Some some reasons we would not stick a needle in someone. Um, any kind of active infection in the area, just yeah. obviously. Like, we're just not going to stick a needle in an area that's infected and spread infection. Um, anybody with that's on blood thinners, which is kind of a precaution. It depends on what the situation is. Just because we don't want any increased bleeding, um, pregnant women we don't stick needles in pregnant women yes you can you can yeah my course said you couldn't okay that's interesting so my again and we both got our education in in different um through different organizations um there are no case reports in the literature linking dry needling treatment with miscarriage during the first second or third trimesters of pregnancy however the number of needles used the intensity of manual manipulation of needles and the duration the needles are left in place should be kept to a minimum in this population electrical dry needling should be avoided completely as would a TENS unit in this population so if i got a pregnant lady that's got shoulder pain heck yeah i'm gonna stick needles in her i'm not gonna stick needles in her lumbar spine though but just kind of things to kind of be aware of. One of my patients said, don't knock on that door if you don't even want it open. So um, we can needle with pregnant women. Um, We typically try to avoid the area kind of between trimesters. So between the first and second trimester and between the second and third trimester, um, just because there's a lot of changes and a lot of growth and development that are happening kind of in those areas. Um, But other than that, you're free to needle pregnant ladies. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I think pregnancy is one of those things. Everyone just throws it in there as a contraindication. Literally. Because no pregnant woman's like volunteering for a research study. They're not like, try this on me. Let's see how it works in pregnant women. Right, right. So. um, Another one is if somebody has an extreme phobia or fear of needles. Yeah, we're not going to force you. If you don't like needles, we're not going to force you. It's it's just kind of common sense. Um, Those are some of the big ones I had. Do you have anything to add to that? Um. Or memory deficits or cognitive deficits. Yeah. If someone doesn't know what you're doing, why you're doing it, they can't give proper consent for that. Yeah. Because extra consent is need- needed for this. We have a form you have to sign. And if somebody doesn't understand what they're signing up for, that's obviously not an appropriate um, time to stick a needle in someone. So no, Definitely not. Um, yeah, that's about it as far as contraindications um afterwards you might feel a little sore you might feel a little achy might have some bruising just kind of depending on the area um but it's usually pretty light and goes away within a day or two um that's not it yeah we we stick each other with needles pretty regularly yeah It's like if we ever have something we want to practice or if we, yeah. it's like, hey, I haven't stuck the hip in a little bit. Can I, can I, stick, a little, can I, st- can I stick something in you real quick? Or if we're having any problems, hey, can you stick some needles in my face? Can you stick some needles in my neck? So The amount of times that Kelly has stuck needles in my face is delightful. I feel so much better afterwards. That's just um, because you don't do your home exercises. I do. I've been really good. I've been doing really, really good about my (laughs) exercises for my, my instability I got going on. But, um, 
no restrictions afterwards as far as like anything you can or can't do, which I think is another really good thing. It's like, okay, it's not like you're on bed rest for the rest of the day. I just tell my patients, I'm like, if you feel amazing, if you walk out of here, like zero out of 10 pain, best you've ever felt in months, don't go home and try to do all the things that you normally can't do because you're uncomfortable or because you're not able to. You're going to overwork your body. You're going to overdo it. And then you're going to be in more pain than even when you started. Yeah. <laughs> so take it easy. Lots and lots of water. Um, heat feels pretty good on some sore muscles, mm -hmm. but for the most part, it's a, it's a good, yeah. it's a really great therapy. And sometimes if you're sore, gentle movement can help. Like I tell mm -hmm. people if, if it's, if we did a hip and I'm like, if you're sore, take a little walk, like move those muscles. Don't go like do a million jumping jacks and run a mile, but yeah, take a gentle walk, things like some that. Movement. That movement can help. Absolutely. But that's, that's pretty much all I had on yeah. that. So that's pretty much dry needling in a very condensed nutshell. Very, very but, condensed. Um, but yeah, it's a great, a great option. Like, it's, like we said, we can use it a lot with those pelvic floor muscles and, um, surrounding musculature as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's a good tool for sure. For sure. Especially in those chronic pain patients. And there's a lot of good research backing it up. A lot of research out there, which we always we always like the treatments that have the research backing them up. Always. That's always a good way to go. So do you have a patient one? Uh, yes. So I have a patient. I've been seeing her postpartum and um, it's been, I've been seeing her for, for a while. It's been, oh gosh, maybe somewhere between six and nine months, somewhere in there. Um, she did have some, some pretty significant tearing during her delivery and it just it was just kind of taken a while to heal and she came in the last time I saw her and she was like my husband and I finally had normal sex for the first time since have since having the baby and um she, she was so funny. She was like, my husband wants to come in and shake your hand. And I was like, fantastic. I love it. I love it. I love it. So she's doing really, really well and just working on, you know, mobility and proper muscle function and positioning and everything like that. Um, she was like, it feels like it did before baby, which is honestly, awesome. that's like my biggest thing. I'm like for my postpartum women, I'm like, if I can get, if we can work and, you know, get sex to feel the way that it did pre baby, I'm happy. Yeah. I'm happy. I'm going to do one that was a quick and easy fix because those are, those are fun. Those so are fun. I had a patient, she came in with just a lot of pelvic pressure, pelvic pain, pelvic discomfort at work. So a little bit of that and then a little bit of stress incontinence. And she was just like, I'm literally uncomfortable all the time. I'm pressure when I sit, pressure when I stand, um, did the exam, had an overactivity, one session we taught her how to rest her muscles the next session we worked internally on those muscles and then we worked on some core strengthening and she's been symptom free for like three months amazing i mean it took hard and sometimes it's that easy yeah for something she'd been dealing with for a while it's not always that easy but sometimes, sometimes it, is. it is and that's that's always nice when it's that easy yeah. so so that was fun amazing good stuff good that stuff was fun well, your PSA this week is let us stick needles in you. Yes, it's a good time. Um, but also do your exercises. Also do your exercises. Also another quick little disclaimer. Uh, this varies state by state of yes. who can dry needle. So um, physical therapists in California cannot dry needle. They are not allowed to in. per their practice act. Um, and this off the top of my head. But um, so 
check the check kind of state guidelines if you want dry needling. Um, just kind of talk to whatever state you're in, wherever your PT is. Ask if that is an option for you. Um, Texas has pretty lax laws on this yeah. too. So you basically just have to have an introductory like safety course yeah. and that's it. Yeah. So Rachel and I have both have had a little more training that, yeah. than that um, just because it's really not adequate to do it without any extra training in my opinion. Yeah. But our state says it is. So that's again, it varies. God bless Texas. Yeah. <laughs> Texas is like, yeah, do it. Go for it. Go for it. Oklahoma, you have to be certified you have to actually mm-hmm. get a certification so it varies but don't be afraid to ask your therapist what yeah. are your how did you learn how to do this what are your qualifications did you take a class did you just stick an orange and your classmate in pt school and now you're sticking needles in me were you trained on a clinical like ask them ask them ask them because i mean that never offends me when people ask well what are your mm-hmm. qualifications I'm like i would want to know the same thing yeah. so don't ever don't ever be scared to ask those questions so, so. But yeah. Um, and just our last little tidbit, if you are in need of body oil or lubrication or moisturizer, personal moisturizers, I think is how it's advertised. We highly recommend Coco New, C-O-C-O-N-U, not N-E-W. Um, you can get 15% off at checkout with code PSA. They are organic, all natural, great for you guys that are super, super sensitive, or just great for anyone in general. It's, it's just a good everything. product. Yeah, it's, it's a, a fantastic product. Um, we need to do an episode just on lubrications yeah. in general because there's a lot out there that I do not recommend yes. for a lot of reasons. Yep. So, yep. But Coco New is a good one. So... If you guys are looking for one, you're looking for one that won't irritate you, that doesn't feel slimy and sticky like some of the others can. That's this a, is for you. This is for you. So thank you guys for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.